0: I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. Today we're going to talk about racketeering and what in the heck is racketeering anyway. Uh, most of the people on the street uh, can't answer that question and it shouldn't feel bad because most lawyers don't know what racketeering is either. Today we're going to define racketeering we're gonna talk about RICO, and that's the federal racketeering statute that federal prosecutors use to break up racketeering rings. And we're gonna talk about some representative cases and some of the most popular cases in the history of racketeering, including uh, Takashi 6 9 and Lori Laughlin in the college admission scandals racketeering case. So if you enjoyed this episode, hit that like button. If you wanna know more about the law, subscribe. If you got something to say to me, put it in the comments below. And as always, share my channel on social media. And remember, I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. So if you need advice specific to your legal situation, you need to lawyer up with an attorney in your area. Now let's start off with what racketeering is. And it's difficult to define because it's kind of an umbrella under which a lot of other criminal activities fall. So if we're just trying to define the term and we open up a regular dictionary, we see this definition. Racketeering is the practice of engaging in a racket. Well, that doesn't help us a whole lot. That doesn't give us a whole lot of information at all. So let's look at the definition of the word racket. Now, racket is a fraudulent or illegal scam that is repeated as part of a systemic criminal operation. And okay, we can understand that. A racket is essentially a scam well we all know what a scam is in fact you've probably used the word saying well that's a racket and it generally refers to something that is either unethical or illegal or a scam I know when I go to the movies and I buy a $12 ticket and then I want some popcorn and some pop it costs me another 15 bucks and I usually say well that's a racket well it's a legal racket but That's the idea that this something about this particular situation is off. It's either illegal or it's unethical, but it's in some way or another a scam. So historically, these rackets fall into three types of categories. Uh, The first category is the scam where the perpetrators promise a good or service that they have no intentions of delivering. The second type of scam is where the perpetrators offer a solution to a non-existent problem. And the third type of scam is where the perpetrator offers a good or service to solve a problem that they themselves created. Now, that's a little bit vague. I'm going to give you some examples of each one. In the first scenario, we have a perpetrator offering a good or a service they have no intention of delivering and i live in missouri and we have tornadoes from time to time and i've seen this over and over again Uh, a tornado will come through and do some damage in a neighborhood uh, and shortly thereafter the insurance adjusters come through and then all these homeowners wind up with their checks well this is a prime target for illegal or unethical contractors who will basically storm chase they come into town and they'll, get, uh, they'll do an estimate uh, on the house to repair the roof or whatever needs to be repaired. And then they'll usually collect, oh, half of their bid up front from the insurance money to get materials. Uh, these people have no intentions of actually doing any of the work. They just want to get the chunk of money up front and then they disappear. This is an example of the first scam where the the perpetrators have no intention of actually following through with what they promised to the buyer. The second is the area where you have a solution to a non-existent problem. And an example of this kind of a scam is those IRS calls where they call you and they say, Uh, that there is a lien against property, or that there is a criminal warrant for your arrest, and an officer is coming to your house to arrest you if you don't pay them immediately on the phone. Well, in reality, there is no um, IRS uh, lien whereby a warrant gets issued. That's not the way the IRS works. Now, certainly, you can be liened by the IRS, and they can issue a criminal charge, and through criminal court, a warrant get issued, but that's not how they collect their debts. So we know that this is a solution they're offering you to a non-existent problem. Uh, They're saying, hey, you know, why don't you just pay me to solve the problem? Uh, And that's an example of uh, scam number two. Now, scam number three is the classic example. This is creating the problem which they purport to solve. Uh, Similar to the IRS lien, but this is the protection scheme that we see, uh, where a guy comes into a business and says, hey, you need to pay me to protect you. And the business owner's like, well, I don't understand what you mean. I don't need any protection. And the guy's like, I think you do. And then that night, the store gets ransacked. And he shows up again the next day saying, see, you should have paid me to protect you. This is the protection racket and this was made famous uh, by the mob in Chicago in the 20s where if you didn't pay them for protection they would tear up your stuff and or harm your family. The protection racket where they offer to solve a problem that wouldn't exist without the racket. Them themselves creating the problem. Scams and rackets and this type of organized crime continue to build through the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, and we saw uh, organized crime grow, and they had all kinds of rackets. There were gambling rings, prostitution rings, drug trafficking, bribery and extortion rings, murder for hire rings, and money laundering rings. And these all continued to grow until 1970, when the federal government did a lot of different things in regard to criminal legislation, but in particular to racketeering, they passed RICO, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, R-I-C-O, RICO. This was enacted as Title IX of the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970, which is signed into law by Richard Nixon. And this is a dynamic criminal statute, which really was aimed specifically at organized crime. And this statute vastly expanded the scope of racketeering laws in the United States. Where racketeering had generally been focused on scams before, there were now 35 different criminal activities that fell under RICO, any of which could be used to bring a racketeering charge against an individual or an organization. And as I mentioned, the focus of the RICO Act was on organized crime. And this statute did three specific things. Number one, it closed the crime boss loophole. And we'll talk about what that means here in just a second. The second thing it did was, as I mentioned, expand from just scams to 35 different areas of criminal activity any one of which could bring an elevated charge of racketeering. And last but not least, this statute allowed a civil remedy for injured victims. So you could sue a racketeer in civil court for damages. This is not something you ordinarily see and is part of the dynamic nature of this particular criminal statute. So let's talk about each one of those things in detail. Number one was that the act closed or attempted to close the crime boss loophole. And what that was, Was the idea that uh, if a crime boss say ordered a murder uh, and had johnny go out and shoot or kill somebody if they brought murder charges later on the crime boss could say hey i didn't pull the trigger i didn't kill anybody you can't charge me with murder well under rico you can this statute specifically allows bosses to be held responsible for any act that they order any other member of the organization to perform. This is similar with a lot of other federal statutes which generally hold that if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. And what I mean by that is that everybody in the criminal conspiracy, from the kingpin to the very, very bottom, they are all responsible for everybody else's actions. So you could have very little to do with the overall criminal conspiracy, but be held just as responsible as the kingpin. Uh, And this goes both ways but this allowed federal prosecutors to get at crime bosses who never actually pulled the trigger, but still could be charged under RICO with murder. The second thing that RICO did was expand beyond just scams to 35 specific areas of criminal activity. And we're gonna go through some of those now. So under federal law, you can be engaged in racketeering if you're committing any of these underlying offenses, including murder, kidnapping, extortion, arson, robbery, child pornography, bribery, counterfeiting, embezzlement, theft, which is very broad, and fraud, which is even broader, includes obstruction of justice, illegal gambling or trafficking ring, money laundering, drug trafficking, human trafficking, and acts of terrorism, just to name a few. And some of the broad scopes of cases that have been enforced under RICO include the following. Protection rackets, like we talked about before, where organizations as a group force neighborhoods to pay them for protection. It's a form of extortion and can be charged as racketeering. There are fencing rackets where people basically steal and sell things. Uh, This is aimed a lot at dirty pawn shops. Numbers rackets, that involves illegal gambling operations here in the United States. Various theft rings and this could be from home invasion uh, rings or uh, more large scale are the chop shop operations, where they steal cars and take them to a chop shop, chop them up into their individual parts, and then sell the parts. These types of rings have been prosecuted under RICO. Several types of fraud and or uh, embezzlement or illegal operation charges, including credit card fraud, check fraud, healthcare fraud, where you charge for an expensive procedure and perform A inexpensive procedure to scam the system, or you bill Medicare, Medicaid, some insurance company for services that were never performed or for a patient that doesn't exist. Insurance fraud, where you fake an accident or you intentionally cause one or fake injuries from an accident to increase the value of your claim. These also have been prosecuted in murder for hire rings, uh, kidnapping and ransom rings, And of course, all of the trafficking areas, there's drug trafficking, there's human trafficking, whether that be sex trafficking, Uh, baby trafficking for illegal black market adoptions. Uh, They have labor trafficking where they force, this is usually with men, into essentially slave labor. Uh, Alien trafficking where they move uh, illegal aliens in and around a country a country to work. RICO has been extended to computer crimes and virus and hacking type situations. And it's been used to uh, go after counterfeit money operations where they're printing uh, illegal currency. Some of the interesting and less obvious areas where federal prosecutors have been able to use RICO are in witness intimidation and witness tampering cases. Uh, A lot of times, and you'll see this in some of the cases going forward that we're gonna talk about, uh, when somebody gets indicted inside of a organized crime syndicate, other people will basically try to hush or quiet or intimidate witnesses. Uh, When you do this systemically, it can be considered racketeering and it can be prosecuted. Federal prosecutors have used RICO to go after political corruption, uh, judicial corruption, police corruption, and corporate corruption mostly in the area of insider trading where somebody that has inside information will usually sell off a lot of stock because they know something bad is coming down the pipe that's going to affect that stock's value. You can't use this inside information to personally profit over the other shareholders that didn't have the information. Now the third thing with the RICO statute that makes it unique is that it has a civil component to it Uh, And the real kicker under the civil component is that it allows an individual to sue if they are a victim of racketeering. But the enhanced or the teeth to the statute is that that person can get treble damages. That means triple damages. So in the earlier example where I talked about a dirty contractor who came in and stole somebody's insurance money uh, when they promised to fix the house and then they just disappeared. If you can find them and you can sue them, say you gave them $10,000. Uh, where well, you could sue for that and three times that and potentially get thirty thousand dollars out of the person who is engaged in the racketeering activity so when we look specifically at the federal statute there is a couple of elements that are required for racketeering uh, now the first one is that you commit one of these predicate offenses and we've talked about the wide variety uh, the 35 different crimes uh, that could be committed and the second is that you do it repeatedly so you have to do this action more than once. If you just do it once, say, hey, you steal a car, you take it to a chop shop, they break it down, pay you your fee, uh, that's just Grand Theft Auto. You can be prosecuted for that and transfer a stolen property and other types of things. Uh, however, if you just do it once, that's all there is. When you do it a second time, then that's all it takes is twice, then it can be elevated from Grand Theft Auto to racketeering. It can be prosecuted as an enhancement on top of the underlying crimes that you also committed. And the window is very broad. It's only two times in a 10-year period. So if you steal a car in year one and then you don't steal another car till uh, year nine, they could get you conceivably on racketeering charges because it was a repeated action within a 10-year window. Now the punishment under the RICO statute is up to 20 years in jail. $25,000 A $25,000 fine and of course you have to forfeit any uh, money that you were able to make uh, from the racketeering activities. Now we're going to talk about some famous cases that have been prosecuted under the racketeering or the RICO statute. As I mentioned, the specific target of these statutes was organized crime. And in 1987, Rudy Giuliani, who just happens to be President Trump's personal attorney, prosecuted the five families in New York. This was a significant case because it was the head of the five families that were over the mafia uh, in New York City. Uh, Three of them were actually convicted and sentenced to more than a hundred years. A couple of them, they never made it to trial. They were killed along the way. In 1992, Rico was used to convict John Gotti of the Gambino crime family. Mr. Gotti was sentenced to life in prison and in fact died in Springfield, Missouri, about 10 miles from where I sit right here. In 2006, four other members of the Gambino crime family were convicted and sentenced to life. In 2004, Joseph Massino, head of the Bonanno crime family, was convicted of several racketeering charges, including murder. After being found guilty and facing the death penalty, he agreed to cooperate with prosecutors to avoid being put to death and actually testified against other members of the crime family. This was notable because it was only the second time in the history of the American mob that a sitting head of a mafia family had agreed to work with the government and testify against other members of the organization. In 2005, the Department of Justice prosecuted 14 members of the Chicago mob. Half of them went to prison. Half of them, again, they didn't make it. They were killed or died uh, prior to a trial and sentencing. Prosecutors have also used RICO to prosecute the Latin Kings, uh, one of the current uh, most organized and largest gangs in the United States. They were first hit by feds in Chicago in 2009, and more recently in a massive law enforcement effort In uh, Tampa Bay. Many, many leaders of the Latin kings are now behind bars because of RICO and the racketeering statutes. But RICO has been extended to other areas of significance, including political corruption, where in 1980, Gil Dozier was indicted. He was Louisiana's head of agriculture and he was requiring people to contribute to his campaign before he would issue them contracts or allow them to work uh, with his state agriculture department. You can't do that and he went to prison. RICO has also been used to prosecute dirty cops. In 1984, feds indicted several members of the police department in Key West because they were running a racket to protect cocaine smugglers. Several of the high-ranking officials wound up going to prison. Prosecutors have used RICO to actually indict dirty judges. In 2011, in the case that was called Kids for Cash, two judges were actually taking juveniles in and then assigning them to be housed in a private detention facility. That private detention facility was giving the judges a kickback and money for every kid that they assigned to that facility. Well, Rico got a hold of that and found the uh, organized uh, activity of these judges violated the statutes and they're no longer judges and they're in prison. Those are some of the uh, examples of uh, cases over history that RICO has been used against. Now there are two current fairly popular cases involving RICO and the racketeering statute. The first one involves Takashi 6 9 He is an American rapper and songwriter that is noted by his colorful hair and his colorful spats with other celebrities. 6 9 has popular songs called Kiki and Fifi and Gaudy. And in 2018, he was arrested on racketeering charges in connection with his activities and association with the Nine Trey Gang, a particularly violent sect of the Bloods. In 2019, 6ix9ine agreed to plead guilty and cooperate with the government to testify against other members of the gang. Now we'll see how well that works out for him in the long term but in the short term he was only sentenced to two years and interestingly in April of 2020 he was released amid concerns of the coronavirus, uh, from prison to his house on house arrest. Once at home, 6 ix 9 quickly recorded a song and video called Gaba or Gooba, G-O-O-B-A, which instantly became the most watched hip-hop video in the first 24 hours in internet history and last but not least ripped from today's headlines are the 53 individuals who were indicted under RICO and other various criminal statutes for the college admissions scandal. Now the face of this scandal has been actress Felicity Huffman and actress Lori Loughlin but it involved 53 different people Uh, Not only parents of students, but also people uh, inside of universities and colleges where these scams were operated. Now, this was called Operation Varsity Blues by the uh, feds, and it had been an ongoing investigation for several years. And here's what was happening. Rich parents were paying a guy uh, known as William Rick Singer lots and lots of money To get their kids into the college or university of their choice. This scam involved 11 universities, the largest of which, with the most illegal activity anyway, was USC, but also UCLA, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, Northwestern, and the University of Texas, just to name a few of the universities that were involved in this scam. And what Mr. Singer would do was he would bribe test uh, proctors and other college exam administrators to allow cheating essentially Uh, they had a ringer that would go in and take some of the tests for the students or the proctor would allow a student extra time or in some instances they would even change the answers of the students after they left but the bribes didn't stop there they actually bribed coaches within these universities to allow these students to get scholarships. So essentially these rich people's kids were getting into universities they couldn't get into otherwise, and oftentimes with scholarships so they didn't have to pay tuition. These included bribes to coaches anywhere from $100,000 all the way up to over a million dollars. It included the Georgetown tennis team. It included the Stanford sailing team, the Texas tennis team, the Yale women's soccer team. And I told you USC was a major player. It involved three of their programs, including water polo, women's soccer, and rowing. And that is what Lori Laughlin, the actress, that's what her daughters uh, were admitted to, was the rowing team. Uh, and these two had never been on a rowing team in their lives. However, they got a scholarship uh, to be on the USC rowing team. Well, needless to say, all of these individuals have been indicted uh, some of them have agreed to cooperate uh, with the government. Uh, Felicity Huffman has already pled guilty and she served uh, her 14 days, although she only had to serve 11 of them before she was released. Uh, and Lori Laughlin is pleading guilty and we'll see what her sentence is. Although most of the people uh, speculate that while she will pay a hefty fine and community service, she will not do all that much jail time. So there you have it. That is the summary of the history of racketeering. And you now know, what racketeering is. It is the repeated uh, engagement in a scam, or more specifically, in any type of the predicate 35 predicate offenses uh, that are listed by RICO. The federal uh, statute that enforces and prohibits racketeering in the United States. I hope you liked the episode. If you learned something, do me a favor hit that like button. And better yet, subscribe to the channel for more legal information. If you got something to say, always comment below and please share me on social media. I appreciate your time today. You've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dead me out of this